I mean, like, there's, there's a whole bunch of experimentation here, and I think that's the right way to look at it because we're, we're, we're still learning what is going to work. Hello, everyone. This is Ellen, the producer of The Black Line Between Sales and Marketing with Doug Davidoff, CEO of Imagine Business Development and Mike Donnelly, CEO of Seven Cents. Let's get started. All right. Welcome to this edition of The Black Line Between Sales and Marketing. Scott, it is absolutely a pleasure to have you on today. Uh, for those of you, and, and I can't imagine anyone who wouldn't be familiar with who you are, but, but for those of you that are not familiar, um, tell everyone a little bit about who you are and how you ended up um, as the, what is it, the chief platform ecosystem evangelist or something along <laughs> those lines. Well, that Good sounds day. like a really cool title. I, I, I don't think that's it, but uh, I, I like that one better. I just uh, call you the Guy Kawasaki of HubSpot. Ooh. Uh, there we go. <laughs> I don't think I deserve that either, but, uh, you know, thank you. <laughs> that's so, how we blow uh, smoke up. The, the hard stuff's coming later. We're just getting you Oh, uh, okay. These are the softballs. And then, um, yeah, so I, you know, sort of a interesting background. I've uh, been at the intersection of marketing and tech effectively my whole career. Uh, on one side, I've always been a technology entrepreneur building products for marketers. And my last company before HubSpot was Ion Interactive, made an interactive content platform. Uh, it was acquired by a company Scribble Live in uh, the summer. But the other hat I wear is, um, aside from building products myself, I've just been fascinated by this intermingling of tech culture and marketing culture that really over the past five to 10 years uh, has just uh, taken on a whole new direction, uh, right? We have marketing technologists uh, in the uh, marketing department. I mean, marketers are up to their eyeballs in all these different technologies. Uh, so I write the blog, chiefmartech.com around that, uh, program chair of the MarTech conference on that. Uh, and I guess if there's one last thing, it's uh, I'm the uh, uh, party responsible for inflicting that diagram of these 5,000 different marketing tech companies on the world. So if you've ever been annoyed by that graphic, you can blame me. <laughs> so all the time. Yeah, I, I, I reference it nonstop. Um, Excellent. <laughs> yeah. So, so Scott, I, I got to ask you, um, and I'm sure you get this question a lot. I was I used to be in the data storage industry, and it was it was always a fascinating space because it was so crowded. I mean, we had you know hundreds of competitors, and I remember sitting down at sales con you know our annual sales meeting, and they they put up the the NASCAR slide of all the different competitors and the ones that went away that year, the ones that have been acquired, et cetera. But the Martech landscape is was just such a just fascinating idea. And what did you see that said, I got to go create this? Um, because you've obviously been tracking it for years now. And again, it's just, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah, it, it was kind of an accidental uh, mission. Um, so, you know, I said I started that blog around the idea of technologists intermingling in with the, the marketing world. And so around 2010, I was going to give a presentation at a conference that was mostly uh, marketing executives to try and convince them that they should start to hire technology people on their staff. Uh, and so one of my arguments was gonna be, 
hey, take a look at all these different technologies that you're now using in your department. I mean, marketing's becoming a technology-driven uh, organization. Uh, and so that was my first attempt to assemble what was at the time around 150 uh, different MarTech companies. And uh, I showed that off on the screen and everyone's like, oh my goodness, 150. How will we ever keep track of them all? Um, and then, I, yeah, I just, you know, I kept updating that year over year. And I have to say, I've been as surprised as anyone with the just explosive growth rate that has happened there. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's a pretty amazing ecosystem. Well, let's give you a little uh, flashback to the past. And if you take a yeah. look, I'm actually, uh, I'm actually sharing something. So we see the... Uh, if you kind of see behind, there was a slide built here, but you started off, we had the original one in August of 2011, 150 to now, you don't even list them all. It's now just the top 5,000, um, which I love. Yeah, I mean, you can't keep track of them all. It's, I mean, and they change every week. <laughs> New ones arise, old ones go away. It's, uh... and, then, and then someone took your idea and is beginning to build it out for the, uh, for the sales landscape. And, and so here's the question that I really want to ask, because you know, obviously Mike does a lot with technology because of, of, of his company and we do a lot of advising in terms of utilizing technology. I, I noticed this as a practitioner and working with clients and it, it was very interesting that sales executive council came out with this research. I don't know. I saw it about six months ago. Um, it doesn't seem to be working. Right? <laughs> Companies are spending more and more money on technology. Um, I know a lot of marketing executives. I, I call it SAS fatigue. You know, our, our monthly technology budgets going up, up, up. And, and when you take a look across the prism, we're still seeing reducing results. Why do you think that is? Yeah, so I think there's two reasons and you have to be really careful with statistics on um, correlation versus causation. Um, to me, the big problem everyone is facing is the world is changing and it is just changing at a ridiculously fast pace, faster than really, frankly, almost any of us can keep up with. And so I think businesses are facing new kinds of competition. They're facing uh, new sets of customer expectations. Uh, most markets are getting noisier and noisier. So I think it's just more and more difficult for businesses to do business. The, the old ways they used to work didn't work. There's marketing technology, sales technology, and I think in some ways, right, a lot of this technology, the reason we're adopting it is because we see how it can address some of these new challenges and new pain points. But it's by no means like a, you know, just add water, you know, solution. Uh, we're still in actually really competitive markets. And the part of this that often gets underestimated in the MarTech space is even if a technology has the functional capabilities to let you do something that you now need to do to be able to engage with customers the way they want, that doesn't mean you buy it, you subscribe to it, and instantly the next day you are, you're a master of it, uh, right? It's uh, the, the changes in even how we run the business, how we manage our teams, how we think creatively about what we do with this stuff. It takes a lot of effort, a lot of time. And, you know, I, 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 I see too many cases where people underestimate the human effort, the organizational effort that's required to really get value out of these systems. Don't get me wrong. There's probably a lot of systems people adopt that maybe the software just isn't that good either. And, you know, should move on. And no. Else, but. <laughs> that can't be. That can't be the case. 
I, you made me feel better because you, you validated a comment I made on, on LinkedIn uh, about this. I'm sure Michael bring it up in a little bit. Um, you know, but I, I say the same thing. I think we're conflating two things. I think we're conflating um, degradation and performance and, and growth in technology. They're not, you know, as you said, they correlate. I, I think that there's the adoption aspect. But what I also see is you've got a lot of people using technology, um, playing, the, playing the words of the new game. Hey, we're blogging. Hey, we have content. Oh, wait. Um, premium content's bad, I think. I read somewhere that we're not supposed to gate content. We don't have forms, so it's now conversational. And, and so we throw it up there. But we're still fundamentally playing that same old game of broadcast, claim, push, push. And then we go, wait a second, I bought technology, and, and why am I getting a better result? So, so when you're talking to companies about adopting technology, how do you talk to them about how to look at it through the right prism to realize the power that it has, but, but to not just have it be an amplifier of the crap they did before they had the technology? Yep. No, it's, it's, it's a great point. And I mean, this is, this is a problem uh, on both the supply and demand side of MarTech. You know, on the demand side, right, people check the box and say, okay, well, I, uh, you know, have conversational, uh, I have chat on my website, done. <laughs> um, you know, but also, right, on the, on the MarTech vendor side, it's, it's often too easy to just have the bulleted list of features and say, oh, yeah, predictive analytics, check. Well, that must mean we can predict the future. We're, we're golden. <laughs> marketing automation, all my marketing's automated. Awesome. I'll take a vacation. Um, so, so yeah, definitely, it, it's it's too easy to sort of check the box on these things. Uh, I mean, I, I'll say this, but and I know this is you, you guys know this. Your listeners already know it. Um, but even though we all know it, it's really hard to do. Which is, you've got to go back to the customer, and you've really got to take a look at for the customers we're trying to engage with in our business. What is it they want? What is they're looking for? How do they want to engage with us? You know, when they come to the website or they interact with the chatbot. I mean, what are the answers they're trying to get? Because if we can give them what they want, that actually has a very strong likelihood of us moving the business relationship forward versus, you know, that little more, you know, uh, instead of customer centric, you know, our business centric view of, okay, well, this is what we want to sell, or this is what we want to position, or this is what we want to brand. Uh, and I think you're absolutely right. It, 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 you fall into these traps where you're producing things that from your perspective are the way you want to represent your company or feel it should be represented. But if they're not really solving things from the customer's perspective, um, yeah, you just don't get the traction from it. I mean, the blog posts are a great thing, right? I mean, so we can blog, <laughs> but do, do, is anything we're blogging on actually valuable to the customers? And they're like, oh my God, I love that blog. That's awesome. You know, it's, uh, it's a big difference between those two. So, Scott, I, I've got to, um, it's not totally self-serving, but I, I've got to ask you a question. Um, so, and I'm actually looking at the date here. On September 18th, of 2015, I sent you a straight cold email thinking I would never, ever get a response. And the gist of the cold email was, hey, Scott, I, I love what you're doing with Chief Martech. How do I get on your radar? How do we get into the, the super graphic? And you actually responded. And you said to me straight, I've definitely got seventh sense on my radar. 
And the question, the, the question that I have is, I've got to imagine you're getting hundreds of these emails, monthly, quarterly, et cetera. How do you manage your inbox? How do, how do you manage all of that communication coming at you? Well, well bless you for, yeah, even thinking of that. Uh, it, it's, it's getting harder, I'll, I'll admit. Um, you know, I mean, again, part of this is, the, the one thing I've got going for me is, I, I am just fascinated by this stuff. I mean, it's kind of pathetic, actually. I don't have any other hobbies. I don't have any other life. Like, MarTech is my hobby as well as my profession. Um, yeah, it's just, yeah, really, uh, I'm going to have to seek some sort of, sort of therapy here to become a more <laughs> well-rounded human being. But, you know, I just, I get fascinated by this stuff. So it, it is hard to keep up, you know, and there's things, uh, you know, as far as the MarTech landscape goes, um, you know, I uh, last year started collaborating with Anand Talker to, just get some help dealing with the scale of it. Um, and we're also starting to look at things like, hey, is there a way to maybe turn this into a little bit more of a, uh, a database-driven um, uh, solution that there could be some sort of crowdsourced way for people to maintain their listings or make submissions or, because um, if it's going to keep evolving and changing at this rate, I don't know how much bigger it will get, but still, even at the scale it's at, there's so much that just keeps changing. Uh, is, yeah, even if I did that full-time and uh, nowhere near doing it full-time, it, it still wouldn't be able to keep up with all that change, so. Right, and so, and, and that leads me kind of to a good follow-on question. I mean, wh where do you see the MarTech landscape in a year, three years, five years? How is machine learning and AI going to have an, an impact on that? And do you, do you really see the market consolidating around a small number of, you know, larger players or fragmenting, you know, into, into really specialized niches? Just to be clear, Mike, you're asking for his opinion for the pre-Skynet evolution. That's, yeah, that's correct. Okay. Absolutely. Wanted to make sure. <laughs> yeah, boy, it is a great question. Um, so I think one of the challenges is there's at least – a handful of different futures. Maybe this does sound a little bit like Skynet, right? And there's, there's possible futures here, uh, right? I mean, there is the possible future where the landscape dramatically consolidates, you know? And I hear arguments <laughs> every year uh, from analysts assuring me why that's going to be the case. And, and who knows? They may actually be right. Um, I think there's another argument, the, the one that's always resonated uh, best with me, which is actually why I'm doing what I'm doing at HubSpot is I kind of feel like there's an opportunity to have this balance between consolidation around things like a common data model, a common, uh, you know, sort of workflow environment for marketers, but then also embrace this diversification of, you know, very specialized kinds of capabilities or more advanced apps that, again, every business is different. They're wanting to do different things, you know, trying to find one piece of universal software that does everything for everyone. I just... I don't see that in, you know, it feels like the world is getting more and more complex in the ways people can do different things. Um, but then there is that sort of third category, which I think has always been the threat for, you know, companies like HubSpot, Adobe, Oracle, Salesforce, which is to say, you know, ideally you would be the platform at the center of these ecosystems and facilitate it. But because these companies haven't pushed on that in the past, you find all these other companies that are just 
somehow making do without one centralized platform, right? I mean, we're using, you know, iPass solutions and, uh, you know, I mean, all sorts of new technologies that are sort of like, okay, it's a fragmented world. Let's just deal with it as a fragmented world. Uh, so it's possible it could stay that way too, but, you know, the reason I'm at HubSpot is my bet is, I think the platform play can give everyone the best of both worlds, um, but it's by no means the only possible future. So let's take, let, let's dig into that because, I mean, having you here, this is a great opportunity to, to at least for me to dig deeper on something that I've been geeking out about. So, so let's start off. What makes a platform a platform as opposed to a product with integrations? Yeah, it's uh, that is the perfect question. Um, and, and the word platform gets um, used in a lot of different ways today, right? I mean, uh, a lot of where we, you know, popular uh, business discussions about platforms right now are actually things that are more, I don't think of them as platforms so much as two-sided markets, you know, stuff like Uber and Airbnb, um, you know, it's just great, whatever label you want to use for it. So I tend to think of platforms in a little bit more of the classic software sense of saying, okay, there's some sort of foundational layer here that then applications are able to be built upon. And the advantage for doing that uh, is either that it's easier to build these apps or they share a common interface or a common data model and they make it easier for users and businesses to adopt them. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I think the, the challenge with platforms is to say, what is really the benefit that's being offered to ecosystem participants? Um, I mean, if you just say, oh, I'm going to share a little data with you, you're going to share a little data with me, that's a pretty weak link. I think where things get exciting is to say, again, not just sharing data, but having some sort of common data model. Right, like in systems like HubSpot or systems like Salesforce, right? You know, the CRM record, you know, is more than just data. It is actually an organizing principle around that data that actually makes that data more valuable because it's, it's, it's structured in some sort of way that then makes it easier for other applications to leverage that same structure. They, 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 uh, they, they don't have to guess about the data. They, they, they see the way it's related. I think there's another layer when you go out from the data model, which is the user experience and the workflow. Uh, you know, I mean, and this is uh, things where you're seeing, it's not just about having applications where the, you know, they connect and they share data, but the marketer has to work in like, you know, 12 different programs every day to get the things done. That actually, as you start to connect things, you can have those platforms provide a way to let those other programs bring things into the interface. They bring in some of that common UI, some of that common workflow. So that again, for any particular professional, they might have a lot of tools that are feeding into their world, but generally their world revolves around one primary uh, workflow system. You know, and then you get further out, you're like, okay, well, how is this thing affecting business outcomes? You know, how aligned is it to, you know, some sort of common philosophy of like, oh, well, we're building on this, you know, we're building on uh, iOS because we believe, you know, in the mobile revolution. Uh, you know, we're building things on Slack because we think messaging is the new way, you know, businesses internally will communicate. It's almost like there's a, there's a philosophical binding on them. I, mean, I know this is kind of geeky way out of it. I mean, but I, this is what to me like makes a real platform is everyone participating in that ecosystem feels like, you know, we're kind of sharing a common mission. 
There's a third piece that you didn't mention that I think of as part of what makes a platform a platform. And so I'll use, I'll use iOS as, as kind of the idea of, of the model of platform that I see. So you, you talked about the data model, you talked about the workflow model. I think the thing that iOS did that, that made it what it was, was it built a market hmm. so, that, so that you could have specialized people. I mean, if you think about it, and Lord knows all we have to do is take a look at the reports to see what the sales and marketing costs of are of all these fast growth SaaS companies. Um, what, what Apple did was they built a market. And, and I, I know somebody who actually built a, it's a, he's a three person company. He's got about a $4 million um, app business on iPhone. And, and cool. on the, when it first came out, he said, you know what? What's awesome about this is if I only sell to people who have iPhones, that's more than a big enough market for me. They're doing all the hard work of bringing people together. And now I just have to market to them and, and you know, so on and so forth. Yep. Where does the role of, of building that market play? Or is that just, or does that not play to your thought of what makes a platform a platform? No, no, I, I think, and you're really, it's really good that you call that out. I mean, uh, sort of in my head, I almost think of that as part of the workflow because it's not just operating it. It's like, oh, well, deciding when I want something, how easy is it? Is it like one click install? You know, is the billing all integrated into that? But, but you're right. There's a, there's a dynamic there that's more than just the workflow. And so, yeah, I would definitely agree. That is well worth looking at. Um, you know, and I think it's interesting, you know, in the consumer space, we're very used to uh, these app stores uh, and these app marketplaces. In the B2B space, a little less so. I mean, I think Salesforce has done a really good job with that. You know, there's certainly examples. Shopify, I, I like the way they're doing that. So I think there's more of that. Um, I think we'll see more of that. Um, but it is a little bit more tricky because, you know, when you look at, you know, I love holding up iOS as the example of like, oh, that's, talk about a great example of a platform. I mean, like, you know, in the annals of history, right, they nailed it. But I don't see B2B software, I don't see business software being, ever being quite as simple and easy as, oh, yeah, I just added that app to my iPhone. Because there's just so many other dynamics that get involved. And so I think you want to be careful when you're contemplating these marketplaces is you want to simplify as much as you can, but you don't want to simplify so much that you somehow cut out um, the, the, the higher frequencies, you know, of how businesses create partnerships and relationships, um, you know, that don't just fit into a, oh, 1995 a month. Uh, sure, click, sign me up. So let me ask the sensitive question in the platform world, and I've seen it throughout, I mean, back from the days when Microsoft, when Windows was the platform. Can you build a platform and compete with the people who are building to become truly part of your ecosystem? I think you're absolutely right. That is the, in fact, the, the, the label I call that is platform conflict, because uh, I think it's very much like channel conflict, uh, you know, we see in another context. And the thing is, um, it is the biggest, hairiest problem and almost every major platform, software-wise, has that problem. I mean, Microsoft, right? You know, they 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 build Office. You know, uh, WordPerfect. You know, was not thrilled with that. Um, you know, even Apple, right? I mean, we'd like to think of Apple. Certainly, the ratio of what app developers do relative to what Apple does, you know, is smaller um, overlap, but. 
it still has overlap, right? I think of, you know, like uh, iPhone and their, uh, their Maps app, right? And the competition between Google Maps, you know, and them. I mean, that's uh, a, a fairly heated thing there. Um, I think that the, the, there's sort of two things you really want to get very clear about. Uh, if you're going to be a true platform, the first is you need to give people the ability to have choice. Right. Um, so like Apple's like, OK, we have our browser, we have our mail app. But if you want to use Gmail, if you want to use Chrome, go ahead, install it, use it. We're fine with that. Um, and I think you want to look at that. I mean, you know, this happens in the Salesforce ecosystem. Uh, it happens here in the HubSpot ecosystem. Um, so I think you always want to allow choice. The second thing, though, is as you have. ISVs, uh, independent software vendors who want to be able to build things around the ecosystem, you want some sort of signaling mechanism for the platform to say, here's what we're going to be doing. Here's where we see opportunity uh, you know, in our ecosystem. Uh, and then as that evolves over time, as it changes, as it inevitably will, have that sort of communication happen in an open enough way that nobody's ever caught caught off guard. There's, there's one other thing I really, I mean, specifically, you know, as we think about things like, you know, HubSpot specifically, because <laughs> I've spent a lot of time now thinking about this, you know, is I think there's a big difference between this sort of either or proposition, like, you know, saying, oh, well, it's either an app from the platform or it's completely open to the ecosystem. You know, when we were talking earlier about this explosion of just thousands and thousands of different software companies, I mean, one of the reasons we see that is because, again, the actual businesses who adopt software, they differ. They have different needs. They have different things they prioritize. There's different ways they want things to work. What is the ideal software for me might be a very different piece of software for you. And so I think one of the advantages of looking at this from a platform view is to say, listen, you know, the platform might have some sort of foundational applications in a particular area, but I, I actually think you, you don't want to even look at it through this, this view of saying, oh, well, and so since we have that, that's the only way you would want to do that. You're like, no, think of all the various ways you could extend that or be, have more sophisticated versions or more advanced versions or more vertically oriented things like how the B2B version of that would work different from the B2C version. You know, how it would work for nonprofits versus how it would work for, you know, industrial manufacturers. I mean, it just... I, I feel like the possibilities are so large that as long as the platform and its ecosystem collaborate on saying where there are going to be opportunities um, to work together, um, that, I don't know. It's, it's a complex question, but it's one that I, I think there's lots of good answers. And a lot of it comes down to just being able to clearly communicate that among the parties. And I think if you grow the market, that also creates more opportunity for for co-opetition to, to truly work. Absolutely. I mean, platforms, platforms want to be open. I mean, if, if you're not open, you're, <laughs> you're not a platform. Uh, so, uh, yeah, but it's not just openness technically. It is a, it's, a, it's an openness from the business model, from the, the way you present it uh, to customers. So, Scott, one of the things that I'd, I'd love to know as you look in the marketplace, where, where are some advances that are getting you really excited? Um, just from a, from a pure tech perspective. I mean, obviously everybody's talking about machine learning, AI, et cetera. Uh, I think we're still very much at, you know, 
we're in the first game of the season um, on that one. Don't forget we need middle out compression now. That's still yeah. crucial. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the stuff with AI and machine learning is fascinating. I, um, you know, the particular thing that gets me more excited is in many ways I uh, call it the digital everything movement. Um, this idea that, you know, for a long time here, we used to think of, okay, well, we have our web interface, maybe we have some email, a little bit of social, but that's really just kind of, you know, the sort of web stuff. Maybe we'll do a mobile app. I mean, you, you could sort of like have a little bundle and say, oh, well, this is the canvas upon which the digital marketer, you know, plies their trade. Um, but in these past few years, this, this sort of ramping up explosion of the chatbots, the, you know, voice interfaces with things like Alexa and Google Assistant, you know, we're starting to see augmented reality, virtual reality stuff, all these like uh, Internet of Things devices, you know, not just for the home, but for the office as well, too. Um, I just... I think this is, a, I mean, just going to be the beginning of an incredible reimagining of what does it mean for a business to have relationships, uh, you know, through these digital media, um, you know, with their prospects and customers. And what, what gets me so excited about it is I, 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 I feel like so much of it's undiscovered at this point. I mean, even the conversational interfaces, right? Would you, you know, there's a lot going on there today, but you know, it's far from being like distilled down to best practices. This is like social media was in like 2007 or something. I mean, it's exciting. It's happening, but wow, we're not even quite sure where this is going or what the opportunities are. And uh, uh, yeah, I talked to a lot of companies who are uh, doing very interesting experiments in this space and it just has me very excited for what these next few years will bring. How, how do you separate the signal from the noise? And, and I'll give you what, what I mean by that. I, because you brought up Amazon Echo. I'm still trying to figure out how to actually use it in a useful way. But for a while, everyone was talking about, okay, it's all going conversational, search is out, we're leaving the screen, it's gonna be, it, it's gonna be audio, right? And, and what's Amazon's next iteration of, of the Echo? It's the Echo Show. Let's bring the screen back, right? And, and so there's, there's all this talk that like, everything's changed, you know, every time this new piece comes out, everything's changed, which is a whole lot of noise. And, and for mm -hmm. someone who's, who's seen it, how do you separate the signal from the noise to, to be able to pay attention to more of what matters? Yeah, it's, it's hard. You know, I think you, you brought up a really good point there that one of the um, uh, failure modes that's sort of easy to get into is, you know, there's, there's two failure modes. One is, this is the way we've always done it. Therefore, this is the way we'll do it moving forward. Uh, you know, the inertia, um, you know, but the other failure mode is the opposite of that, which is to say, oh, well, this is a new thing. All the rules have changed. It's all brand new. It's all going this way, you know, and the reality is obviously a blend between these two things. Uh, you know, the, the, the thing that's the most exciting and terrifying right now with all of this technology is actually just the speed of iteration uh, that, you know, uh, Amazon can try, you know, a whole bunch of variants of what is the right way to embed conversational computing, how much of it should be visual, how much of it should be ambient, how much of it should be embedded on a particular kind of device. Do we plug this in more with the, what was the thing, the, the dash buttons, you know, I mean, like, there's, there's a whole bunch of experimentation here. And I think that's the right way to look at it, because we're, we're, we're still learning what is going to work. 
but yeah, yeah, like, do you, how do I distinguish between signal and noise? Not, not well, uh, right? I mean, like, <laughs> I, I, like, you know, snap, right? <laughs> Still, like, to this day, I'm like, I kind of get it, but, you know, I wouldn't have expected that to be the thing it was. And now like, maybe it's the thing it isn't, but maybe it will be again. I'm like, all right, you know. <laughs> it's hard to keep up. That is awesome. That might be the, that might be the best statement of the year. I, I got to give that to you. Um, so, on, so on communication mediums, um, and obviously everybody's talked about it for years and years and years now, but I'd love to get your take on this, Scott. Is, is email dead, and do you think it will die? Mike has you know, no vested interest in yeah. the answer. <laughs> yeah. you know, well, email is definitely not dead. <laughs> I know this. <laughs> um, it's, it, it is interesting though, right? So I was in uh, China earlier this year uh, for an event in Shanghai with Tencent, you know, and man, they have so embraced, uh, you know, the Chinese culture, particularly on the consumer side, they effectively don't use email at all. It's all relationships that are done through these mobile apps. So you can certainly say, uh, you, can, you can see an actual working example of a market where email is not really a significant player. Um, and so I think there is a cautious lesson there about, hmm, you know, just because it's what we were saying earlier, just because we've always done it a certain way, can we be guaranteed that always will be? Um, that being said, yeah, I don't see any signs of email slowing down. Um, you know, I mean, a lot of this comes down to it's, it's just a really great way to get scalable amount of content in a way that's asynchronous, you know, the people, you know, in theory, right, have control over throttling, you know, who, what they get from whom. Um, that's, I don't know, I see a lot of value, right? I mean, like the newsletter thing, right? That, that whole craze, like, I mean, you know, the, the people were maybe stopping thinking, should I do a blog? Should I not do a blog? Should I do it on media? Oh, I should do a newsletter. You know, and there's an explosion of these newsletters. And actually, a lot of them are great. I, you know, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd read more if I could. So on, on the newsletter front, because uh, you brought it up, I'm, I'm curious. So I, I'm obviously a subscriber of Chief Martech, but it's sent... I know at nine o'clock PM usually, mm -hmm. which actually happens to be a fantastic time for me, but I can imagine for a lot of other people, it's not. How, yeah. how, how did you come up with that time? Oh God, this is embarrassing. There, there, there are two embarrassing <laughs> things about oh, Martech. Sorry. One is how I assemble that Martech slide, which whenever I get asked that question, I'm like, oh, it's not going to end well. Um, so I'll give you that one too, if you want. But uh, the thing on the email is, Oh, all right. Um, so sorry, sorry. All I, do, all I did was point to Google Feedback. Like I was too lazy to actually set up an actual email newsletter system, you know, off of my blog. So I had that old Google Feedburner thing. People can subscribe to Google Feedburner to get like an RSS to email. I have no control over that. Google sends it out whenever they send it. As it happens, for whatever reason, they send mine out at nine o'clock. And I mean, it's just embarrassing. Like, you know, I'm going to turn in my Mr. Martech badge right here. <laughs> Sorry. The, uh, well, that, HubSpot should just, you should be running it on HubSpot. Yes, I should. Yes, I should. In fact, I hear Darmesh saying that somewhere. <laughs> can, guys, can we edit that out? <laughs> right. 
<gasps> well, it also goes to show one other thing. Um, just ship it, right? It, you know, it's funny how many times people are trying to make sense of something. I, I see this with a lot of companies that have expertise. It's like, how do we, how do, we do it perfectly? So you, Lord knows if you, had, if you had tried to figure out how to send it up by email, maybe we wouldn't know what the uh, MarTech 5000 was. So it, it all ended okay. Um, I, let, 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 let's move it a little bit. And I love the conversation. I could geek out on this for, you know, another 10 hours. Let, let, let's think of the, the marketing executive, the sales executive who listens to this show, who is not <clears throat> geeked out by tech. They use it. I mean, one of our statements is technology will never be the reason you succeed. It will increasingly be the reason you fail. Um, there's so much noise. There's so much confusion. Um, I, I, I have a built-in follow-up here, but for, for these people, they're, they're trying to make sense of, of this craziness, this insanity. They know they need it. Everyone says we're totally different. They all look the same. And all the, how do you begin to build a tech stack that, you know, you're not trying to be, you know, the next SaaS company unicorn. You're just trying to grow at a, at a great rate and be strong. How, how do you build a tech stack intelligently? Yeah, well, whatever you do, don't look at my landscape. Um, that's like, <laughs> seriously, like, you know, uh, again, I'm fine with that landscape as a little bit of inside baseball for people <laughs> who are tracking the industry. It's, it's kind of an interesting thing. But yeah, whenever I have people approach me and they're saying like, yeah, and this is how we use this to select technologies. I'm like, oh, God, no, please don't Am sue I, me. Which, uh, which, which, one, which, one, which one do I select two? <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah. Throw the dart. Um, so you know, the first and foremost thing is, and I said this earlier. You know, this thing of really trying to go back to the customer strategy of just what are customers trying to get from us? What are the channels they're trying to reach us through? You know, if I don't understand that. Um, I really have no business going out purchasing technology or trying to configure it or I like how else should I evaluate it other than either a the metric of how will it affect my customers or slightly behind that this idea of how will it actually make my business more efficient and how I serve those customers but the efficiency one is worthless if you aren't actually serving your customers um, anyway. So for those who aren't really teched out, this is again another reason why I believe strongly in this. I, I, I think the future of MarTech is a small number of platforms within these very rich and diverse ecosystems around them is it should be the platform's job to essentially onboard that, that cohort you know, of folks who are, you know, whether they're early majority or maybe now we could call them late majority, but you know, there's still the bulk of people out there who like, listen, I know I'm behind, I need to get started. What's a good foundational place to begin? Um, you know, and there's a lot of work that you need. I mean, again, even just given these foundational systems, it's, it's not automated marketing that flips the switch and customers start spewing out on the other end. Um, you know, there's a lot of work that the company has to do to adapt that. And then I think the, the advantage is once they've done that and they're like, okay, we've got this common foundation, we've got our data model for customers, we've got a workflow we've now learned to use. Now you start to get to the place of saying, okay, we're ready to step this up to the next level what are the things that our customers would find most valuable and now how do we pull things in from this ecosystem that help us specialize help us get more sophisticated not in every category but you know in the one or two categories that really make a difference for our business 
And I need you to either validate what I'm saying and tell me a little bit more why I'm right so I can use some new stuff or, or tell me where I'm off on, on this next one. Because I, and, and it's fun, I, I kind of feel guilty that I feel this way because I, I love small business and I love innovation so much. But I see as, as a great, I'll just use CRM as an example. I think it applies to a number of marketing automation tools as well. I see those two things as most likely the place where platforms emerge. Um, there are hundreds, if not thousands of CRM. It, you know, it looked like for a little while we were seeing a decreasing number of CRM, uh, you know, and all of a sudden like two CRMs got together and they were rabbits. Um, and, 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 you know, there, there, a number of them do these interesting things. And I see companies that are, that are making these choices about CRM. And I increasingly feel like you can really only choose three to five, there's like three to five CRMs that you can choose from. And the reason I say that is you can't make the decision about your CRM today. You have to make that decision about how is this going to plug into an ecosystem three years down the road. And, th and that's why I say building the market is, is so important because if I don't build the market, I don't get the, I don't get the third party apps and the specialists to develop the product for my for my thing. So I, I see these people making decisions going, oh, well, this CRM does the job for us today and we save a little bit of money or, or, or whatever. Am I wrong that when you're looking at whatever you're defining as your core tech, you've got to be thinking about how, where is this going to be three years from now to serve what the needs that I don't even know I'm going to need are? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I would agree with that. And I think the reason I, the reason I agree with it is because I think it's easy for people to conflate, particularly when they're new to this technology or they're new technology buyers. It's easy to conflate the, the sort of short-term outcome from the architecture behind it. Um, you're like, so, all right, well, I want to be able to, you know, have a contact and send an email and, you know, see when they come to my website. Oh, well, this product does it. These 50 other products do it. Just pick one. Um, and that's fine if you're, yeah, looking at just, okay, well, what is the actual outcome happening today? But the, the whole thing about things evolving, uh, you know, as your business evolves, as your tech stack evolves, the thing that is really painful to change is that underlying data model. You know, I mean, companies spend, you look at any company that's done like a CRM migration, you know, much less, yeah, like larger marketing automation migration. It's just, these are painful things to do at scale. And it really just becomes a cost. I mean, it's just, you get almost no benefit, you know, from that. It's just an internal cost, you know. And so this, this idea of saying, listen, I want to, I want to pick a system that, I'm pretty sure the core data is going to be solid, not just this year, but hopefully for the next five, 10 years uh, down the road. And then what I want to be able to enhance are sort of the outcomes that I drive out of that core piece of data. Um, so yeah, if, 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 if you're not evaluating technology through that lens of, you know, what's the asset I want to keep? You know, it's, it's not just a subscription service. There's an actual asset, you know, that's being created here. And, you know, you want to evaluate, like, is this thing going to give me value to my core asset for that or, or not? Um, Mike, you got any other questions for him? I got, I got two fun questions to, to end on. So 
No, I, I, that's again, Scott. Um, awesome, and I want to definitely respect your time. I, I like I said, I I'm, I'm trying to remind myself that I can't just talk to you for the next ten right. hours. Right, exactly. I would if I could. <laughs> it's a good thing we don't have a glass of scotch here because we could go all kinds of crazy. Hey, now um, that would be a fun podcast. Sign me when you do that one. You sign me up. <laughs> we'll we'll send you a bottle. <laughs> you know what? The next time we're up in Boston, we'll just do a live podcast. I'll bring a bottle of Obon and we'll. Uh, Excellent. We should live stream it. Yes. We'll all right. <laughs> all right. So, so here's my final two questions for you. Number one. If you think about the last three to five years um, in the B2B space, so you can, we don't have to worry about the Snapchats of the world. Um, what are you, what's had success that you were the most surprised by? You saw this, you thought, okay, wow, that's crazy. And it turned out to actually have real impact, real success. What's the biggest upside surprise? Well, that's a great question. Um, So one of the things that's surprising me is, um, and I, I'm very excited about this, but boy, I don't think I would have predicted it is, um, so around this, I, we talked a bit about iPass, integration platform as a service, things like uh, you know Zapier. Uh, and there's now a whole explosion of these, which this, this movement that they've developed, like I could understand technical people using this. In fact, the label I would call it as a tech person is middleware, right? It's all right, well, I use this to connect all these different things. So having like IT people who would get excited about those systems, I would have predicted that. What's fascinated me is this movement, like a lot of the people who use Zapier or even you know, the home market people using that, if this, then that, if service, um, are these citizen integrators who are like non-tech people who have suddenly got into, oh yeah, I've got all these different components and I can pull this data from here and I can trigger this action here and I can say, oh, this is so cool, you know? And there's, there's similar movements, you know, with these low code or no code environments for citizen developers creating little, you know, web apps or little mobile apps. They're not developers, but all of a sudden they create an app and they're, they're digging it and they're loving it and they're adding value to their company or their customers uh, in, the, in the data science space, right? You see this around, you know, the data, uh, citizen data scientists or citizen analysts who, you know, they get tools like Tableau or whatnot and they start, they start digging into this data and experimenting with it and analyzing it. They're not professionals, they're not even pretending to be professionals, but they've been empowered by these tools to get a whole new set of capabilities that, yeah, quite frankly, we just never, I mean, you couldn't have even conceived of them being democratized that way. And again, for me as a, you know, geeky, nerdy person, I love that stuff. What has totally surprised me is how broadly that seems to now being adopted by people who are not in the techie, nerdy, geeky category. They're just regular folks. Artie, and the last one, I'm gonna, I call these 20% predictions. So you get, to, you get to give a flyer here. It's the thing you're like, you know, I don't know if this is going to happen or not, but it, it has a possibility of happening. So one in five, we'll call it. If it did happen, it would be really cool. So not that, you know, the five predictions of, give me a flyer prediction that has a chance of happening and you think would be the coolest thing of what you're paying attention to right now. Oh, wow. So, you know, the category of this stuff that to me is most fascinating is a little bit of this blockchain related movement, um, but specifically 
this idea, and it's been surfaced for a long time. Uh, what's his name? Doc Searles, you know, he's been one of the champions of this with vendor relationship management or uh, what he now calls customer tech. This idea is, you know, we've got all this technology, all these ecosystems built around marketers and businesses controlling the relationships with customers. Why can't that actually reverse? Why can't it be the case that actually customers and buyers end up with much more sophisticated technology that really truly lets them take control of how they uh, handle relationships with uh, all the different, you know, service providers and product providers in their life? Um, I think there's a one in five chance that there's going to be a really massive revolution of that kind. Uh, yeah. Over this next three to five years. And yeah, it will completely, if it happens, it will completely rewrite all the rules uh, of how we uh, do business. I'll tell you, that's a double one in five uh, prediction because I think it's got, you know, the one in five chance of uh, succeeding or, you know, being real. And you probably delighted about one in five businesses out there and terrified. <laughs> Customers really had the power to control. That would be fascinating. That is that is absolutely fascinating. That's Scott, this, this was awesome. Thanks so much. Um, we'll have to do it again. We'll have scotch for you next time, I promise. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. Uh, yeah, uh, best wishes for 2018. Scott, thank you so, so much. Really appreciate it. Um, hopefully you have a good uh, holiday season and are taking a little bit of time to relax as well. At, at least uh, two or three hours without looking at email, yes. <laughs>